Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 160. The last episode we had uh, was with, if you're a fan of Netflix show Sex Education, we had Steve from that on, which is really cool. Um, I don't know if you watched that. Uh, I didn't, but Steve, or a real name, Chris Jenks, who has also given Daniel Radcliffe the Heimlich maneuver on a TV show, so quite a cool career there for someone that's only a year older than me, um, was the year above me at school. So that's how I know Chris. And uh, yeah, it was really good to actually catch up for the first time in some time uh, and yeah, chat about his career in, well, TV. So yeah, quite a, quite a cool story. He's actually just started up his own production company recently, so that's pretty cool as well. Moving on to next episode, I actually said I think this episode was supposed to be this, but I just just a reshuffle of, of, of recordings. It's not a problem, but Liz Haynes is coming on. Liz is going to be talking about neurodiversity in agriculture. I, I don't know what age Liz is, and it's always a risky one to guess, so I won't, but Liz is an adult, and Liz is now, um, just in the last couple of years, been uh, diagnosed with ADHD, which made a lot of sense for her, but also made her sort of really think about um, neurodiversity in farming, so I'm really looking forward to that. We spoke briefly at the Nuffield conference <clears throat> just a few weeks ago, um, but it'll be good to chat to her for, for a while and sort of see what's going on there. Uh, today's episode, number 160, is quite an interesting one, though. An interesting one because of the guest, but also quite a, a nice one as well. Throughout this podcast, we've obviously had 160 episodes. Throughout that, I've had family members on, friends and whatnot. And I don't think there'll be many people on the planet that I'll have spent so much time with over such a condensed period of time. And that was for three years when I was at uni. And this guy's seen me at my worst. I've probably seen him at the same uh, seen me at some pretty good moments as well but yeah certainly a lot of beer was involved when we spent our time together and that person to me will always be known as Oak but our guest today is Andrew Simpson I can't say it but I'm going to say it once more Andrew do you want to say hello? Hi how's it going on yeah Oak probably uh, a nickname I've carried quite a, quite a distance across the world it seems to follow me everywhere I go even when I go to somewhere new uh, it still seems to just rear its head again so I just introduce it now <laughs> Just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, Howden Rural, formerly known as A-Plan Rural. Howden are heavily involved in the social media scene in the ag space with over 100,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories, as well as posting to their rural community blog with further articles about these people in the sector. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Howden Rural for that. Tell us about Oak, where did that come from? Um, came from years ago uh, in school. I was playing rugby and uh, I basically stood up out of a ruck as, a guy, as the number 10 was passing the ball, hit off my head and he gave me some abuse and used the line, you're like a big oak tree, you're always in the way. And uh, from that moment on, it just it stuck. I mean, it may have disappeared for a few years. And then when I went away traveling, uh, yeah, it just someone said, oh, this is Oak. And they're like, Oak. And then the story comes up again. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's where, that's where it came from, really. But no, cheers for having me. It's good to be on. Yeah, good, man. It'll be good to chat. And well, in fairness, like, we've literally, we, we're on this call at 8 o'clock. It's currently 20 to 9, and we're just hitting record. So it's been good to catch up for some time. I would say it'd be fair to say a lot of the stuff we we're talking about probably isn't for the R2 cast, probably not. Stuff <laughs> anyone wants to hear, or probably if I'm trying to create this brand, something I want people to be hearing. So, uh, yeah, it was good to sort of chat about that. But for, for that story about Oak being called Oak, he is six foot six as well. So uh, that that probably adds to it. But you, you, were, <clears throat> you were Oak from day one for me, because I remember... 
we sort of got a bunch of us after one of those agricultural icebreaker days and we went back to halls and we all sort of stood in that hall like awkward trying to talk to each other and whatever and uh, you told us that story there and then we hadn't even got back to our room so yeah I'm pretty sure you were oak before you were Andrew for me and I don't think I've ever seriously called you Andrew like <laughs> it's just nah, Andrew's like when I, yeah when, I, when I've done something wrong or there's few people that call me it, or when someone does call me it, they don't know about Oak. It just feels weird. Yeah. But um, but yeah, even even to this day, some colleagues call me Andrew. But uh, but yeah, it's just it's mainly it's mainly Oak to everyone. My girlfriend can't do it though; she thinks it's weird. Oh, does she? Yeah, she's like, it's not your name. I'm not doing it. But um, yeah, the most almost all friends would call me it. So yeah, so I guess if you say you're six foot six, it kind of answers the question itself, doesn't it? I mean, I'm I'm pretty strict. Like when I put contacts in my and and my phone that it's like first name second name because you so many contacts these days like and there's all andrew simpson i'll probably get four of but as i'll show you have been oak, <laughs> got my own tree oak tree emoji for some time man like since day one <laughs> uh, you've always been that you've never had a surname so yeah there's sometimes i hear your name and i'm like is it i simpson i always have to think about it that's how bad it is but uh, yeah well give us a bit of background about yourself tell us a bit about like let's see i always quite like to go back sort of <clears throat> before what you're doing now what, what were you like like just coming out of school what, what was happening then uh just coming out of school i was uh completely lost is the honest truth um i didn't know didn't know what i wanted to do what direction i wanted to go in i remember, I remember actually leaving school and uh um everybody went all their different angles and i was just left uh left working in the local supermarket and just kind of scratched my head one day and looked around and none of the other people that used to work there and um, as my friends were there anymore and I yeah decided that wasn't what I wanted to do with the rest of my life I guess we all kind of have a moment like that um, and from there it just grew arms and legs really got uh, yeah, I don't keep this short uh, got an opportunity um, to work like for SSE a little bit doing like um, just basic meter reading stuff like that and um, that then uh yeah i think it was someone i was trying to get into the police actually i wasn't very good in school i should point that out i mean i failed just about everything in school apart from pe um, and geography i could tell where countries were but apart from that i wasn't good um so yeah i kind of got got through a few jobs like that and then someone said to me you should try the police so that was kind of where my first proper job came in uh although i tried for the for the local police because I was really bad at maths and everything like that, failed that. So couldn't even join the police. So yeah, I really was a right failure to start with. Um, and then, yeah, someone said you should try the Ministry of Defence Police, which is basically like you know, garden. For those of you who don't know, it's like uh, garden, like certain sites in the UK, like protection from terrorism, anti-terrorism basically. Um, so yeah, I got, got firearms trained for that. Uh, went and did that, soon realised that that was also not what I was intended to do in my life. Uh, and then you probably know about my trip to the States. A friend basically said to me, um, yeah, I'm going to go back to America to work on some farms. Uh, uh, do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. And I remember telling parents and stuff, and, you know, parents were always like, oh, you've got a career. You've got everything set up. And uh, I was like, yeah, no, but I don't want to do this. And, you know, and she was like, okay. So probably a tough pill to swallow for them because it was just one day. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to America. And they were like, what? Like, where does this come from? Uh, so yeah, if I if I speed it, speed it up, went back and forward to America and working on working on actually the same farm every time I went back. Did about three and a half, four years there. Uh, 
travel to Australia and stuff in between, work on a couple of farms. Um, yeah, there's more and more traveling and stuff like that in there. And then eventually decided that um, I better do something in my life or stay out here in the States. Uh, so basically came back to the UK and decided uh, what, to, what to study. So I was, I'm, I would have been, what, 24, I think then? Yeah, you would have been, because I was going to say, I'm now the age you were when we finished uni. Yeah, that's, that's true. It must be 24. What year is it? Yeah, it was 2014. You were 1990, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. it was. I was 24 and came back. And then, uh, yeah, I remember, well, which was uh, our main lecturer at the time. I got in contact with her. had absolutely none of the academic side to get into that college. But um, it just shows you you don't really need it. Because she said, you know, you've got the experience and you've done it. Um, so, yeah, let me in on a one-year basis. One year turned into two. Two turned into three. And then I thought, I've done pretty well here. I'm going to tap out. <laughs> I thought, I thought fourth year, you carried on. Man. Fourth year was just over ambitious for me. You lot left me, man. It was I, nothing against oh. Lindsay Allen, but I was the only one that was left from our group. <laughs> I'm just, I was just like, I came here for one year and I've done three. I've exceeded all expectations of myself and my family. Mm. I'm out. So uh, yeah, took that and ran and uh, worked on a few other farms. Um, and then basically got into, uh, I'm an agronomist now, and got into that through, I guess, my dad was an independent, uh, worked for himself, advisor, and he just knew someone, and I was like, that's what I want to do, got introduced, and uh, yeah, got a job, what have I been now, five years, uh, with, yeah, probably one of the biggest sort of agrochemical companies, and uh, yeah, never looked back, actually, it's been pretty good, pretty good with them so far. So that's basically an up-to-date version of, of where it is. But, yeah, bit of a whirlwind. I'm sure we'll unpack some more as we go. But having known you for quite some time, for you to settle for five years means something. Like... <laughs> I, know. I don't know whether that's a, an age in my life or uh, that's just the job. I don't know. I mean, I do, I, do, I do really enjoy the job. But it's one of those things when you'll know yourself. When you start getting your teeth into something, you start getting interested you start to kind of it just it just snowballs and then yeah. it's not that you can't get out of it i don't i don't really want to i know um yeah and you just opportunities come up and keep going you um you said like when you left school you were lost and i think what i've it's funny like for those listening oak because he was like what seven years older than us I wouldn't say you were like the father figure because you were just as daft as all of us, but you did have some <laughs> yeah, kind of things. That you, you were, like you totally were. Um, and one thing that's always stuck in my head, you said you were lost, but one thing you always used to say, and I seem to remember you were looking to get a tattoo and I can't remember if you got it or not, was not all those who wander are lost. And I used to be so focused, like I had to have a path. And it only got to stage like when I finished uni that I was like, nah, you don't. <laughs> you really don't. You don't have to have like, a path. You can do whatever you want. And also with the with those that follow me on social media, especially over the last three months, I've been to nine countries in three months and whatever. Like I didn't travel, I just hadn't done it until August. And if anyone kickstarted my love before I actually did it, it was probably you. Because we would sit and we'd have a few tins of fosters, no more than two, obviously. And uh, we'd sort of sit there and you'd talk about your times in the States and Australia and whatever. And it was like I remember thinking, like, that's just unattainable. Like, that's just, I can't yeah. do that. That's too far away. Like, I've got barely enough money in the bank for a tin of beer and I'm still buying 24. But, like, it's, um, 
I just couldn't see that happening. And I generally mean for those listening, like when when you look at the fact I've been traveling a lot lately and stuff, it, it, probably that sort of drive for it, even though I couldn't do it yet, was was probably stemmed from this man. So Oak, tell us about that day you were like, right, I'm going to States. <laughs> it's happening. I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information about our primary sponsors, Howden Rural, the new name for A-Plan Rural. Howden Rural provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates. This could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture. Be sure to check out Howden Rural today. I was, I think about a good friend who was just, I think I was probably a bit, uh, I was mourning a little bit about this, 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 this police job I was in was like, you turn up, you do your shift. The chances of something happening are so beyond slim that you knew you were going to, I mean, it looked great. You walk around with guns and everybody was like, oh my God, like it's an armed cop. It was great. But you were really, I looked at these guys that were like 50, male and female, like 50, 60, and done this all their life. And I was like, I do not want to end up like that. So I think it kind of came from that. This sort of, it wasn't a nine to five, but you did day shifts and night shifts. And it was the same thing, same route you did. Everything was the same. And then, uh, yeah, I was complaining to a friend and he'd already been out to America the year before. Um, and he was like, I'm going to I'm gonna go back out. Do you want to come? And I said, I was just like, I actually was not even a thought. I was just like, yeah, all right, I'll come. And uh, yeah, I was there. I think, I think it was like two months later. Uh, we just, yeah, we just, we just left. Got a, you have to get a visa. So I ended up going to London, got all the visas, everything went through okay. And uh, yeah, went out and worked on a big... Uh, Arable and uh, yeah, crop, yeah, arable, arable, mainly arable. I had a lot of cattle, but the cattle were pasture. Um, so I just total green, you know, knew absolutely knew about farming, knew a lot about it, but never really worked in it. So me driving a tractor was, you know, I, I was struggling, you know, I was really struggling. Um, and then, yeah, my boss over there just took me on, put me in the tractor, and was like, this is forward, this is backwards, still driving about in the field. And uh, there was like, 10 of us that worked there. And I picked it up. I don't know. Some might argue. I thought I picked it up reasonably quick. Didn't break too much shit in my first year. Um, but, yeah, and then my friend came back home and, and I came back home. And I think I went to Australia on my first year over the winter. And then um, I just decided in Australia, I was like, the same for me either. I don't, I don't didn't like it as much as I liked the states and then uh i phoned i remember yeah phoning my boss and being like i want to come back and he was like ah you've got to be sure you want to come back like don't just do it because you're because you might be mad at the situation you're in now and i was like no and he goes phone me next week if you still want to come back and uh i phoned him in like five days i was like i still want to come back and he's like okay i'll kick start the visas and that was the process that happened that year and the following year and uh, yeah, like I just learned so much from it. I ended up basically being kind of a foreman out there um, for, uh, it was like a harvest crew, you know, you go from north to south and then combine your way right the way back up. So yeah, he kind of gave me a bit more responsibility, but there just comes that time in your life where you're like, I either invest in this and stay here forever, or I, I go and do something different. And that was, yeah, I decided it was maybe time to come home. Tell us, tell us about that job though, because you're saying you're working on the farm. You're saying it's sort of, yeah, it's a harvesting crew and whatever, which is all true. But 
I think you're playing it down a bit. Like when you talk about Hoffman, like it's a pretty notable place. Like tell us, tell us some of the numbers you were working with. Like some of the stories you told me, like it was scale that we can't imagine here. Oh yeah, like uh, like America as a whole is like like we're just a, we're just a little fish over here. But yeah, the farm the farm I worked on over there. Oh, it was about three and a half, four thousand acres. Was their own farm. Uh, they had about eight hundred to a thousand cattle that basically went out to pasture. So every summer, we'd ca- oh, every winter, say you'd cab them all, you'd tag them all, and then you'd haul them uh, in the lorries all the way out to pasture. And they literally are left out of pasture for sort of six to eight months till the autumn again uh, with the bull. And then they all get brought back in. That process repeats itself. Um, in regards to the cropping, it was pretty much all spring wheat. Uh, and yeah, basically, you got into the sowing, did all that sort of stuff. So you're sowing about. Uh, two to three, two to three thousand acres, um, and then once you've done that, they've got a harvest crew. I think they run uh, six to seven combines now. And um, so when you when you turn up over there, you have to get your lorry license, which is a, it's not a joke, but you can do it in like an afternoon. You know, you can you can go and get your car license. It takes ten minutes. Your lorry license takes an afternoon. You do have to learn it, but if you want to pass it, you can pass it. Um, yeah, you get that, and then basically opens all these doors. Once you've got your lorry license, you're completely useful to them. Um, and then, yeah, you do get your doubles and triples and oversized loads, and you haul, you basically haul combines and headers all the way down to Texas, which is probably like uh, 15 to 20 hour lorry drive straight. Uh, and then, how do you deal with that first? What was that? How do you deal with that sort of distances at first? The first time you've done that? Yeah, on that scale, but uh, the first time you do it, you go on convoys, so there's like 12 of you in lorries, and you're all carrying different stuff, and the first stop on the first time on the way down, you'll stop a couple of times to let guys get used to it, and then when you're down there, you obviously offload all the combines, get ready, and then as you start working your way back up, you might then only travel for like five hours or six hours, but just across the Midwest, uh, you know, so there's, you know, you got North Dakota, South Dakota, Kansas, little bit into Colorado, Oklahoma, uh, and then down into Texas. And then you start in Texas, work your way all the way back up. And uh, yeah, you just like stop off and you combine and you do crazy hours. You know, you're working until it's basically time to go to bed and you get up and you go again. It's like farming to kind of the extreme um, end over there. And then when it rains, you got your time off. You go and have, have some time off when it rains. And then as soon as it's ready to go, you go. and. That's literally what they do. So you'd go down there in probably April and drive all the way back up to Canada and then you'd stop and then you'd come back down in maybe August, September to South Dakota and you'd start corn, the fall harvest. And then you go all the way back up to Canada or to, to the Canadian border again. Then it would probably be the middle of December. And then, then you go straight up to Cavan. If you stay there over the winter, most of the guys go home. Then you go straight up to Cavan. And then come the spring again, once the cabin's done, you're straight in the straight in the trucks back down. I just got addicted to like I love the cabin in the winter, the sewing in the spring, the combining during the summer. I just yeah, I don't know. It was just my kind of lifestyle, but it's lonely in the winter, that's all I say. Everybody else goes home. Um, but that's that's basically the gist of it. And you it's a little bit of a drug. You know our yeah. friend Booty that went out there too, he's the same thing. He went out one year, then he went out another year, then he went back to America somewhere else. It's a little bit of a drug i don't know if, i don't know if you know this but i was in america last month right and uh 
<laughs> the only reason I'm saying this is, well, two things. First off, yes, everything's bigger. Um, it was just insane. It was only like a... Did you hear of FFA when you were out there? Um, Future Farmers of America. Basically, like... Every, yeah, yeah, I probably did. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, this, this convention, three-day convention of 70,000 school kids that just want to be farmers. Like, it's fucking insane. And then there's, like, all this other stuff, like... Just like, oh, I was speaking to the guy John Deere, and he's like, Yeah, we just brought a small thing here. It was like a 520 horse tractor. Like, I'm not up on what tractors are what. It's just this thing sitting there, and he's like, Yeah, we could have got something bigger. And I was like, oh, Okay, fair. Um, but the reason I'm saying it is the Midwest is not the Midwest. <laughs> no, no, it's totally not. It's, it's just, it's not California or Washington and New York. <laughs> I don't know. I, what's, what's the history there? What is that? Because we're all the we're all the drama. So that's you might know better than me. Start. Well, like, I don't know, man, because we were in Indianapolis and they're like, it's Midwest. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's half east. <laughs> <laughs> if you take your country, but then that's such a, no offense to Americans, but that's such an American thing to do, right? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, there, there'll be a reason. It was probably because they carried some goods through there or something. And then they were like, called it the Midwest. And then one guy was like, yeah, let's just call the whole thing, you know? And that's how, it, that's probably how it started. But yeah, it's not in the Midwest. Which is really stupid. <laughs> it's totally not. I I I was like, cause cause we there was there was kids there from every state. I even got one from Hawaii. Um, but like, uh, I was I had this like board and pen on the states and stuff like that. And the folk from you know Chicago and a wee bit south of that, like yeah, it's Midwest. And I'm like, it's literally not. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> discussion with a lot of folk. I'm um, not gonna argue with you, but you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh no, I went and argued with them. Like I probably went through it. Started doing, <laughs> I just started doing like random accents as well. Like that proper like southern accent, you know, it sounds like they got a bit of molasses on their tongue, you know, like just <laughs> yeah. I like all this stuff. And I absolutely loved it. But they're they're just so friendly folk, man. Like they're nuts, but they're so friendly. But um yeah, I always remember like when when you came back, you know, I was I was leaving for uni at, at 17. Daniel was geez, 16, still act 16. Yeah. Um and uh <laughs> sorry if you're listening, Daniel, but it's true, you know it's true. Um <laughs> We went. We were all at this young age, and like Pav, Rudy, and that are a bit older, and then yourselves a bit older again. And and for me, moving away was was like, yeah, I guess it was a big thing at the time. You know, first time I left my parents and whatever. And yeah, I, I managed it easily, but it was still like exciting. I was like, I moved away to air, you know. But yeah, yeah. I always remember you having this sort of like America, like you had this like yearning for what was going on in the states because it was high energy, it was constant, it was impact, it was kept going. Did you struggle going away from that, like? pretty much 365 day intensity to what was you know comparatively a pretty easy course you know that you sort of sat down and i remember you saying to us daniel and i in particular this is the easiest three years of your life man <laughs> yeah and, it, and i stand by that i stand Just by that focus like all all you have to do like everybody goes on like it's like i'm not a studier and i'm not i'm not naturally smart if i want to pass something i can but i have to put work into it but i always remember like at, at uni or college or whoever goes the only thing you have to do is pass those exams like everything else you don't have to do anything else you just have to pass those exams so the people say like studying is hard and i'm sure as people do like four or four years or, or or more it gets harder but for it wasn't easy because i thought it was easy it was easy because like in general people are going through a lot harder stuff than sitting here having to study so i was like this this isn't this isn't too bad you know people go through worse stuff than this and so I was oh yeah I always thought that but it was it was a struggle coming back to it I really I think that's why 
I came back after one year and I was like, I think at some one point I was like, I'm done, like that's my year. And then it creeps back into you and then you go again. But the problem is, the problem is stopping. I mean, you can ask a lot of people that have been out and done it, um, the harvest and that. It's I found it a bit of a drug because you come back and then you get into this slow motion and you come back in the winter. You know, you arrive yeah. back here in like December and then you've got January, February, March, long, cold months. Whereas out there, you'd just be doing full on cabin the whole time, night shift, everything. Um, and then, you, yeah, so I really did struggle. But once you get past the first year that you don't go, it gets a lot easier from there on out. Then you, I still like think about it now, but I would look back on it like, I'm so glad I've done it now rather than, I mean, probably all the time I was in college, I probably just wished I was secretly back there. Yeah. But now I'm like, oh, I'm just so glad I've, I've done it. And I feel lucky is what I feel. I feel lucky to have been able to do it. And I would recommend anyone to go and do it because, it, uh, yeah, it grew me up was what it did. It's you a proper real thing that, I mean, it's a slightly different comparison this, but it's related. Uh, is it Alice Cooper? Is is he Kiss? He's one of the fancy rock band singers. Yeah. One. I think it's one of those Kiss ones, whatever. And it, someone was like, asked him in this interview, he's like, why'd you do drugs? And he's like, man, when you're up in that stage your whole life and then you lose that, like, it's a different world. And it's a kind yeah. of similar thing. Like, I totally get it. Like, you're used to 100,000 folk going nuts seeing you and you're getting that reaction. Then suddenly you're sat at home, like, watching, you know, whatever, cash in the attic with your grandkids. That's some serious wonder. highs and lows. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's intense. And I mean, I guess it's a it's just an extreme compared to yours, but it's it's comparable. Like it's a similar thing. Yeah, it's the same as a lot of people do, especially when they change roles and jobs and stuff like that too. I think you you get that same. Yeah, it's it's hard to deal with. It's how you deal with it. I think that's uh, the trick. And probably because college was so like slow motion. Like you, you know, let's be honest. Some days we were barely in there. And then you're like, what do I do with the rest of my time? Like, I played a lot of Call of Duty and stuff like that. But I don't yeah. know. That's what I mean. Like, all you have to do is pass, pass that exam. But I, yeah, I did I did struggle coming back to it. But then it felt good getting other people to go out. Like, I've given other people links to, to my boss out there and was like, you know, speak to this guy, go out. And then I feel like when they come back and tell me the story, it's almost like you relive it with them. Yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's different now. It's bigger. It's it's more modern, but it's uh, yeah, it's good to get get people to go out and do it. And I actually think more people, especially in agriculture, because you know a lot of people come from the farm and then they go to college and then they do a little bit and then they go back to working on the farm. If you took that section for a few years and went away and did that. I think that's more valuable than probably going to college in a sense. Yeah. And doing it, you know, like yeah. I think it's so valuable. You almost need to somehow need to promote it. I know there is some companies in the UK that, that do it now and promote people to go over there. But, but yeah, it's it's it would be a must if someone said to me, what should people do that are getting into agriculture? I'd be like, go away and learn about other stuff and come back and have so many better ideas about it. It's, it's interesting, man, because you told us all this stuff like when we were first sitting in third year, like, you know, and, and all I really lived was school and uni. And yeah, it was a casual time, man, but like it was fun, don't be wrong. But I was like, I just don't, I can't see how you can, like, how can you learn that much? And I mean, don't be wrong, my travels have been very much shorter than yours, but the things I've learned, like when I was Tanzania and Rwanda in particular, like the stuff I learned out there was insane. And then going to ukraine albeit i was only there for two days in ukraine like learning about a war-torn country being in it when it's happening 
the stuff you learn, like forget agriculture for a minute. We learn, yeah, yeah, yeah. We learn in agriculture, but just cultural, you know, cultural building of yourself as a person is insane. Um, but yeah, we, I guess what we probably have to say is we had a pretty good group in college. Like we had a we had a good squad. There was like a core team and there was a big team as well. And like it was, yeah, it was good times. Um, oh, it was great. Yeah, there was a lot, <laughs> a lot of beer drunk and a lot of things happened that won't be said again. But it was yeah. great. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change, and that was important for me too because I like, yeah, I missed that because I did. I always said I'd never study, and then there I am going back to do it. So I was always actually really grateful that I got, you know, a good group. And we were just talking there before about like what air was like, and it seems like, you know, we were we were lucky to get the the right side of it. It seems like it would be such a good fun place, you know, now maybe. But uh, yeah, we had a great we had a great time. There was just enough going on you could make a party. Out. Yeah, and even when there wasn't, we managed. I, you know, I used to love, I used to love coming back from the lamb and Easter holiday. Folk have been away lamb and like they haven't seen people for three weeks, and then it's just like you know, if the weather was good, beach, you know, whatever. I was they were they were good times, man. I really enjoyed those times, barbecues on the beach and stuff like that. I think it's it's funny. I am um, when so my ex went to uni in Aberystwyth for like the masters and I got pally with some of the folk there and actually really pally you mentioned Call of Duty I still sometimes play Call of Duty with them they're from London <laughs> nah legit mate I hadn't met four of them and I play Call of Duty with them all the time like do you want to come to London and I was like yeah class so I went down to London had a few nights out with them last November and uh, just got the memories up last week actually uh, and uh, then I was invited to the wedding, invited to stag do, all this sort of thing for one. No of them. Twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I couldn't make the wedding, but went to stag do, which was in Aberystwyth, which is where they had all their uni life. And he summed it up so well. He's like, there is nothing but fond memories for me here, but it's done. And that's so true. When I really? go back, Yeah, when I go back to air, I'm like, nah, I've got no attraction to this place, man, but everything's positive in my mind about it. It's so accurate. So that's, I, yeah, that's like a bigger... That's a bigger concept about the whole of life is don't don't do something till you kill it. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Like like make sure that you do that. You have a good time. Like uh, just like what we were saying. If I kept going back to the states, I eventually would have killed it. My first year was the best year. Yeah, you know. For sure. And then yeah. and the same about going going to uni. Like if you go back, it's not always true because you can you know go to university in Edinburgh and then live there. It's cool. But you're right. You come back there and you're like. Oh, I'm so glad like I don't live here because it would just ruin all the good yeah. stuff that we have. So yeah, totally relate. And that goes outside of it too. Get out of something before you kill it. Yeah. What, what is it? I don't know if you watch The Office US, but Andy looks at the camera on one of them and he goes, I wish there was a way of knowing you're on the good times before you've left. Yes. <laughs> Mate, I, I was so, so self-aware I was in one of the good times. I think, you know, I think I'm really lucky. We were speaking about this off camera. And and I think you probably come under this in quite a lot of ways as well. Having that, and I'm not saying I've completely completely copied your life motto that not all who uh, those who wander are lost, but having that motto, you kind of just feel like it's consistently fun. Like you're not uh, you and Ross McKelvey said things to me that were the exact same thing at different times, and it's like don't don't sort of um, don't chase an outcome, like focus on a journey. Yeah, and it, of course. It's, 
so true man like it's if you're if you're enjoying the thing in the middle like most of it's quite good you can make the, the whole thing good times but yeah here was good times but i think if we were still there it would not be, it'd be very boring now but uh, i think if we were still there we wouldn't be there <laughs> i don't <laughs> I think, think we're at all I'd, I'd be somewhere else but like yeah beer intoxication or something i don't yeah. but yeah yeah if you if it's enjoying the process it's pretty a pretty important thing yeah no definitely and yeah so after uni um as we said i was sort of left i mean i i had one friend in my fourth year in lindsay but lindsay hadn't been with us for the first three years so uh yeah what was um what was next for you um after after uni basically when uh went to the well, I say the borders it was like uh towards dalkeithway and worked on a farm uh, as a sprayer operator um, did a harvest and then kind of got into doing some sprayer operator and doing some cultivation work, got on really well, but I just didn't want to, I, I, that was a realization time for me where it's like farming is actually really, really hard to get into if you're not already in it. So I was like, either I can do continue doing this farm work for the rest of my life, or I can try and do something better. And I take it back to, uh, to America, I didn't even know what an agronomist was. Um, and I was uh, doing some sewing and there was a guy in the field, believe it or not, an American overweight, really unhealthy guy in the field. And I was like, what is that guy doing? So I spoke to my boss one day and he's like, oh, he's the, he's the agronomist. And my, my boss couldn't even say agronomist. He was like agronomist or something. And uh, yeah, and then I was like, oh, what does he do? And I spoke to him and I was like, that's a pretty cool job. You know, and if you Google it, it comes up something like a plant doctor or something like that, or a soil scientist or something. And it's not really true, but I was like, that's really cool. And I didn't really think about it too much. And then when it came to like finishing college and went and worked on a farm, I was like, yeah, maybe you want to go down that route and chase that route. It wasn't like, oh, this is what I want to do my whole life or anything like that. I just was like, that would be kind of cool. And I do, I do care a lot about about the world and what we're doing to the soil. And I was like, maybe I thought, uh, it was actually my cousin that said it to me was, uh, you can, you, if you're gonna change something, change it from the inside out. And uh, I was like, that's pretty cool. And if I could do anything good, then maybe, you know, farms are just stuck in their own ways and what they do in the process. And I was like, maybe I can do some good here. So yeah, got a, got a job uh, as a trainee agronomist. Uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be five years ago in the spring. And uh, it was hard. I did I had to then study again to get my basis and my facts and um, to be able to recommend fertilizer and recommend chemicals. And uh, it just kind of snowballed on from there. It was really slow the first two years, picked up a few, you know, a few customers, you could say. And then some guys started retiring and I got on with them well and they passed me a lot of their, or their business. And I really enjoyed speaking to the farmers and, yeah, just like snowball. I got involved a lot with um, uh, soil scanning and sampling. Uh, went on some extra sort of soil and water basis courses. Tried to learn a bit more about that. Uh, yeah, now I'm just now I'm just at a stage where I'm probably yeah. Trying, I'd say I'm trying to change it from the inside out. Trying to sometimes sometimes agronomists are seen in the wrong in the wrong light. Like you know, you're just trying to basically sell chemical and stuff like that. But there's there's a lot more to it, uh, and I. I pay a lot of interest in the soil, and I, that's where exactly where I start with the whole with the whole job. If I get yeah, a new customer for the first time, I go and speak to someone for the first time. The first question is always, "What is your soil doing?" 
you know. So that's really where it came from then to to where I am to where I am now. Yeah, I I really I really like the job. Like I I think it's a really good way of changing stuff going forward. What's the answer to what's your soil doing? Are folk mostly aware? Do they know where their soil is, or are they needing you to answer that question for them? Uh, I think I think people know where it was meant to be ten years ago. Okay. So like the result, like for me in my area, is pH is a big problem. We're always we're always losing pH. The soil is always becoming more acidic, and um, so a lot of them are like, oh, it should be around six. It should actually be around 6.3 to 6.5. So it's like we're always on this side of minimums rather than averages or maximums. So I would always, the first thing, obviously, get your soil sample, then sit down and look at the results. And there is a minefield of what type of soil sampling you can get done. So you've got to gauge that to the farmer too. You know, if it's a, if it's a crofter that's just wanting to check his five acres of grass, just do a basic sample. If it's a thousand acre arable farm let's get that soil scanned let's sample it let's zone it let's look at the organic matter so yeah i'd say they know where it maybe should have been but that's not problem is we're taking so much out of the soil all the time right we're taking everything out of it you can talk about your soil erosion and and you you know whether it be wind whether it be water and eutrophication all that but actually the problem I think starts long before that is every year certainly up here where I work which is in the north of Scotland there we're taking everything out of the soil so every time you grow a crop you're taking what's in that soil out and then if you take off the straw and then you don't dung it and you don't put any organic matter back on you've essentially taken something out you know it's like it's basically like doing loads of doing loads of running and never eating eventually we've got to run out of energy so i i, I take it back to, to that really and that's what you need to look at as a base and an organic matter is not something you can you can fix quickly so you've got to start 10 years before you know you've got to start so you mentioned scanning zoning sampling and another one i can't remember off the top of my head what's the difference what are we talking about there so basically you've got um if you were just doing a very basic sample that's a case of like anyone a farmer or myself walking across the field doing your basic w shape and taking different core samples at certain depths normally i think it's like up to 25 centimeters 5 to 25 centimeters or something and you take that core out put it in a bag send it off get it sampled treat that whole field the same whether it's five acres or 50 acres it's just one w across the field gives you a fair indication but it's 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 as basic as you can get basically you know um, and then as you go up you can get a scan and sample so that basically means you get a a machine will will pass through the field uh, right over the field with discs and the discs essentially measure the conductivity in the soil so if there's more moisture in the soil you know there's more conductivity if there's less then there's less conductivity and that's how it's measuring heavy and light soil so if there's not a lot of conductivity it's light soil and if it's got a load, it's P. Um, and then it'll scan, it'll go through the field. And then what it does is it makes up a map of where those soil zones are. So normally I would say break your field into about two and a half hectares, which is a manageable amount that's worthwhile treating differently. And then the sampler will then come in after the zones are made up. Sampler will then sample each 2.5 hectare zone. So if you've got a 10 hectare field, you put the scanner right across it, 
the scan map comes back and it will be roughly, you know, four two point five hectare zones. Scan sampler then goes in and samples about twenty to twenty five times in each two and a half hectares. Those samples are sent away, come back like on a map, basically, and then you can treat that those zones through variable rate is essentially how you do it. So that can be your lime, your your potash, your phosphate, stuff like that. And that's that's basically how you go down that variable rate route is the is essential how you how you start it. And you can also go down variable rate seed and stuff like that. But all of it is irrelevant if your soil isn't right. Like that's the kind of icing on the cake, right? But you got to get your line and stuff like that and dead on before you even look at it. Do we, or, or do you, I guess, see the big thing at the minute we're talking about, and one of the guys I met um, at Nuffield is a guy I've been a fan of for, for some time, Sam Watson-Jones, who's the, the owner of Small Robot Company. Um, do you see drones being such an important thing in our future whether that's ground drones or or flight drones for this stuff or do you see that as as a a really distant future um, um yeah there's a lot of talk about drones isn't there i mean we go to meetings and companies are buying over these drone companies uh if you take out the prop walking agronomist side of it and you just look at the soil sampling side uh, yeah, I think there is a place for using drones as soil sampling. I think more, not because it does it any better than a human, I just think you're taking the human out of it. So you might be able to get more accurate. Because when I'm doing a W across a field, I think I'm doing a W across a field. If you actually track me, I'm probably doing like a Z that's sideways or something like that, you know? So I think in that sense, you'd probably get, yeah, more accurate if you're soil sampling different places. But then it comes down to the you know, how long can they last flight time if you're doing that? Because sometimes I'm sampling for hours on end. So when these these quads that go out and sample are, are sampling for weeks and weeks, I just don't know. you got to charge all at night. That's the only thing. Um, but I think there's a place for it. Yeah, for sure. yeah I think. And you mentioned you mentioned basis and facts, so that's That was a thing that ever since I've known you has been on the, the, the horizon for you. And it's a thing that I've heard a lot of people say is a bloody challenging task to get through. What what are they and, and what's involved in doing them? Uh, or go with your basis first. Your basis is like a, like a professional register, which gives you, I could be, I might not be technically exactly right here, but it's a professional register of use of basically plant protection products. So I then, once I've got my basis certificate, it means I can advise and sell uh chemicals basically you know plant protection products of, of all types whether that be biostimulants or uh, micronutrients or whatever um, and that consists of going to do uh, your basis course which can be done in many different ways you know over a long period an intense week and um, stuff like that and yeah it's it's not easy i always said to myself when i was doing it i'll do it and i'll do it once and if i don't pass it i'm never doing it again because it was it was just intense. Um, you do, so basically I did it all spread over like four months. So I went to two classes every second week for two days or something like that. And uh, when it comes to the actual exam, you have like a 30, uh, like 30 or 40 weed IDs. So you have oh, the ID, ID certain weeds and the pass rate is like 35 or 36 out of 40. So you have to get a lot of them right. Uh, then you have to do like grass weed IDs to know different grass weeds. 
um, and then you have like a written paper. I just remember always remember the pass marks being really high. Like it wasn't like a multiple choice. Well, some of it was a multiple choice, but it wasn't like you know you can get like twenty five on four. It was like thirty six on four kind of thing. And so then you had that that written paper, and then you had a written block, and then you went to the field, which was my the bit I hated the most. You have three different experts who are probably three already qualified senior agronomists. Um, you have to go to each one of them, and they basically just grill you on anything that they want to grill you on. So whether one guy's standing in a wheat field, you can walk into the field, and he's like, I want to talk to you about what I see great. <laughs> it, it messes with your head because yeah, you're like, I'm not there. I'm, I'm looking at this wheat. Um, um, the, the truth is, what they ask you is they ask you a lot of questions. And they just want your last answer to be use chemicals, use plant protection products. They want your first answer to be, you know, non-chemical uses. That's that's the aim of it. So it's a bit misleading. People think, oh, I'll get out, I'll know all the chemicals. They actually want you to know every step before you get to the chemical. If I walked in and he was like, how do I stop septorium wheat? And I said, you use this chemical. He would have been like, you failed, you're out. That would be dumb. So it is very much so a last line of defense. And then you go to two other people and then you finally go to the chairman where they're all sitting on a board and uh, they just basically ask you why you came, thanks for coming, and you find out about a month later if you pass or not. Yeah, you can have a real an indication, but uh, I don't really know. So that's, that's basis and what like basis consisted of. And then your facts is essentially the same thing, but for fertilizer, so uh, being able to recommend fertilizer, bit of a gray area because I think you can still sell it. You just can't recommend it. Oh, okay. So you can, yeah, you yeah. can go about the countryside and sell sell fertilizer, but you can't actually write recommendations. Whereas chemicals, you can't do any. Um, so yeah, it's it's the same thing. It's just a lesser intense version. You got multiple choice. Then you also have the chairman where you go in and you sit on a board and they grill you for twenty minutes. And you just hope you get all the questions right or right enough that they pass. Um, and then once you've once you've got both of them, I'd say that's that's a gateway to agronomy. Like once you've got both of them, so many doors open for you. You know, in not just agronomy, but in in all these in all these companies. Even you know, as a I, I know I've got spare operators that have their bases. You know, like it's I've got farmers that have their bases because it gives you a different insight into what you're using and why you're using it and stuff. So, yeah, it wasn't... Uh, I wouldn't do it for fun, put it that way. But, um, <laughs> but so, some people have done it a few times and not passed it, and other people have done it a few times and passed it. So I think you have to... One of those things that you really have to want to want to pass, you can't just do the course. You really have to want to know. Yeah. So that was that was a big part for me. But, yeah, it was uh, it was worthwhile doing that. Right? Do that Is there, like... Top ups like you can't just pass and you're done for to your sixth day. Like if you got to keep like doing check boxes to keep it over the time from now yeah, on. So they, yeah, so they they used to have grandfather rights, but they got rid of them like a few years ago. Uh, so now I have to go to so many meetings uh, to get a certain amount of points. It's basically a point system. So like every meeting, even on a teams meeting, or if you go to like reps come around, they'll give you points for you being in that meeting. I can't remember how many points it is. I always like sign all the papers because I'm like, I never want to do have enough. Uh, so I sign as many as I can when I'm at the meetings and they give you enough points to, to keep your license basically for the next, I don't know if it's a license, certificate for the, for the next year. 
and your fertilizer on your fax. You just do a online exam once a year, which is actually probably harder than anything because it just comes on and says this year it's about nitrogen use efficiency, and then it just asks you all the questions, and you're it's kind of hard to answer. It's a lot. It's it's an intense one actually. And you only get like you only get three goes at it, and then. I, I don't know whether you have to do the exam again or, or what the story is, but I've never got that far. But uh, I know have, have like, to. <laughs> Google is my best friend. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I will say. Uh, you, can, you can know a lot of it, but sometimes you don't know which one's the most right answer. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, I mean, there's probably, I mean, the reason this podcast originally started was people asked me, how do you get into farming? And we've had, we've had agronomists on, but not many. Um, Tell us what your day to day is like. What what's what's your your week look like normally? It's obviously going to change throughout the year given the nature of your job. But yeah, what, what's the job look like? Um, I'll go with like uh, I'm very spring oriented crops, so ninety percent of the crops I look after are spring barn. Um, so if I was going, uh, it's basically like in the, in the season, it's just it's a very very short season for me. So like. 14 weeks is like really, really intense with the spring barley because we've only got it, you know, it's a very short growing crop, especially up here. So they're not putting it in until April and then it's in May, June, July. Then they harvest it towards the end of August. So it's actually a very short period it's in the ground. So if I'm doing crop walking, it's essentially, uh, yeah, going out and walking a lot of spring barley fields and um, different timings of T1 or T2 or your key times and just trying to get the ground prepared before then, whether that be cleaning up annual meadow grass or um, or other weeds. And then look at the crops, speak to the farmers, tell them what I'm going to do. Sometimes I see them, sometimes I don't. And tell them what my plan is, what I'm thinking of doing to that crop. And then they normally say, that's fine, sort it out. And then I basically, yes, come home at night and write recommendations. And then send that to the office, the ag cam gets delivered. And uh, yeah, then they'll look at the date and spray it when it needs sprayed. But that's like kind of the, you could not the beautiful side of it, but that's like the kind of final step. Whereas I always see like during the winter, like at the moment, I'm going around, I'm speaking to guys about their soil sample and I'm talking about the plan for the next year. I'm looking at what we're going to do. So that's really where my winter months lies. You've got, you've got a bit more time so I can speak to them about what we're going to do. You know, they all want spring barley contracts for growing it and, I get a, I get a bit more chat with them, whereas in the spring I'm just like, yeah, a lot of them I don't even see. I just walk them and then I'll call them or something like that. Yeah. That's that's just the way it goes. You're never gonna you're never gonna see them all in the spring because it's so busy. But there is some winter crops in that as well. Like you know, my wheat, my oilseed rape and oats, but there's not an awful lot we can do up here. It's so wet now that we're not gonna get on the fields anyway. So it's kind of close the gate, wait till the spring. Every time I hear you say the word oats, I always think of that oak. I do not want them oats in my bin. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna uh, just so everybody knows. I was telling Wallace a story. I was about to load a load a bin in America, and uh, I was putting the wrong crop in the wrong bin, and he shouted the, that exact line. What was it, Wallace? Oak. I do not want them oats in my bin. <laughs> you say that one always. <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was funny every time I say oats, but um, there's not a lot of oats, so I don't look after too many, so I don't know what I'm <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's, that's essentially it. It's, it's, 
once you once you get there and you know kind of what you're doing and you're looking after guys, I just really enjoy like battering ideas off of farmers and being like, what about if we did this or what about if we, you know, got a bit more of organic matter in there? What about if we is trying to introduce it and it's the way you say it too. You're never a good person if you tell a farmer what to do because he won't listen. You've got it. I always I see it as a partnership. And you know, I kind of work with them and give them ideas and ultimately it's their farm and they can do whatever they want. And um, but yeah, I think I think we're getting more in the soil's a big thing for me. You, I can go out there and do whatever I want to a crop. If the soil isn't right and the crop isn't happy, it's irrelevant what I do. So I think the winter months are pretty important. Like at the moment I'm getting like a lot of a lot of stuff back on soil samples. So then I look at them and go and sit down and chat with them about that and you know the, the peas and the k's in the soil we need to try and get them right to, to grow the crop right so yeah it's the basis for everything man like even even all the way to livestock on that grid it's the basis for absolutely everything yeah there's yeah, yeah there's 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 a lot like you could have a long podcast on soils in fact you could just do podcasts on soils all year and you wouldn't have even touched it that's basically what um michael blanche does I don't know if you've listened to his. No, no. Mainly aimed at, at, at pasture soils, but yeah, it's it's just soils. Um, his he did an off-field scholarship actually on the farming ladder. Basically, the whole concept of what you spoke you touched on earlier, like it's not easy to get into farming. Um, and he did a scholarship on how do you get into farming, and then he just became a bit of a grass nerd, and then he got really into the soil side, and he's got a a, a podcast called the Pasture Pod. Um, right. But yeah, it's, that's pretty much what that is, and, and his episodes are like four hours long. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just like an endless, it's an endless task. I really, I actually, I really like listening to. I think I told you that guy that was on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, some Rolf, Rolf Harris or something like that. What's his name? No, it's definitely not Rolf Harris. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's Harris, someone. I can't remember. Uh, uh, he's like from Texas. Oh yeah, like, sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I can't read him, but I know what you mean, yeah. He he was uh he was basically saying about how he'd had a regenerative farm and he yeah, how he how he was like so much more productive by having this right regenerative farm. I'm not saying regenerative farm is the way to go, but yeah, um, yeah I just remember listening to that and I was, that's a real different angle to go on. Will Harris. What's his name? Will Harris. Will Harris, yeah. That's what I said, right? Uh, no, you didn't. Rolf Harris. <laughs> I know, I was just messing. <laughs> that took a turn, that did. Um, um, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the other one, he's had, fun fact, I think I told you this, but for those listening, it's a bit of a fun one. I've actually had someone on the podcast that Joe Rogan's had on the podcast. Um, you were saying that. Yeah, see, I mean, most people, I mean, if anyone knows regenerative agriculture, they've probably heard of Joel Salatin. Um, he's, yeah, so, yeah, had probably up there Alan Savory, really. <laughs> one of those yeah. two. Um, Gabe, what's the other one? Gabe something. Um, so I was in that conversation, but yeah, Joel Salton, he was an interesting guy, man. I don't know if you've listened to that episode. I don't um, know. But I, I think you know, he spoke about the fact he basically coined the term regenerative agriculture, all this stuff. And the thing I always remember is he created this cage that had wheels on it, and it basically meant that you got, let's say it's a meter squared cage, you would have the turkeys in there, and they would be like, I don't know. I don't know much about turkey reading, but as <laughs> turkey chicks, I don't know what they're called anyway, they would be in there and they would be there for a set amount of time. It was like down to the minute how long they'd be there. Maybe like, let's say 38 hours, 
in 17 minutes or whatever, yeah? And then this would be, that patch would be fertilised by these turkey chicks and they would move over. Um, and it was like proper looking at animal integration from a regenerative perspective. And uh, all I remember, I'd have to go back and watch it because it's a really good episode. All I remember is he called those things the gobbledygoes. <laughs> such a good name, man. Such a good name. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the gobbledygoes. <laughs> I just love it. I just love it. Um, it's a really good episode. Really good. Really interesting guy, man. Like he's he's like won like Heinz awards and stuff like that. Like he's not just a he's just a, not just a small player. Like he's yeah, yeah, yeah big player. Um, yeah, no, it's cool. It's 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 it's, an, it's a it's one of those jobs that, like you say, it, it must be quite hard to not get fully attached because it's at the end of the day, it's not your farm. Like it's you know you're working with someone else's property here, but you're you're trying to do the best for it, and you see it as your project. But does do you ever find that you get sort of quite probably the word be um almost caught up in it even though it's not strictly yours yeah and sometimes it can be um like it's not like a dream uh it's like you think that i know you be like yeah like i i think i can i think i can like change it or i'll do this and i'm like no you're not doing that you're suggesting someone else does that but i don't know i don't I try to only worry about the things that are in my control. And yeah. a lot of the, one thing that does bother me is when you've you've grown a you've grown a good crop or a farmer's grown a good crop and you've looked after it and then and then the weather just like you know, I just, okay, you could say it makes it go flat. I might get blamed for that. But like when when something happens that's a bit unprecedented and and that crop's ruined, that always hurts me, especially when it's a good crop and I feel I feel almost Partly responsible for that, even if it's out with, you know, my control and I can't do anything about it. I, I hate that because um, nothing. I farming is like gambling; like nothing is guaranteed. You put that, you put that seed in the ground. There is, there's no definite that that was going to come to a crop, no matter what you do. So I always say, like to guys, every step you take to, like for example, I'm trying to get guys to do germination tests at the moment on their barley, their home saving. And they're like, oh, you know, I did like this little test and it works. And I'm like, like if you sow that crop and that barley doesn't grow, it's a disaster. Like you've put the, you've, you've worked the ground, you've put the fertilizer in. So for a 50 pound sample, you're going to risk all that to do that. So that's, you take these, all these little bits of risk out and you narrow it down. So you've actually got a much higher chance of getting a good crop. And that goes back to the soil sampling. You look at the soil sample and you treat the lime, you treat the potash, you phosphate, the mag, you, you, you're actually reducing the risk of farming, essentially, if you get all that right. So I think, uh, I, yeah, I think that's a really important part is to try and reduce, reduce the risk. But there's always a risk. Like, as I always say to guys, when the weather turns and, that, and you're looking at a field and you're like, oh, it's going to, hasn't been harvested and it's going to knock it all out of the head. And I'm like, uh, there's nothing you can do apart from harvest it early, but maybe they couldn't have done that. I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. So, it's, it's actually one of the things I struggled with a bit. Like I, I now work in agriculture, but not as a farmer. Like I looked at working with mum and dad, and I looked at the opportunities there, and 
I kind of struggled with that bit. I kind of struggled with the wrist thing. I mean, I, I don't know how much you remember, but I had a major gambling addiction, like major, you know. Yeah, I might say that, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, major, major, over a quarter million pounds type gambling addiction. And <laughs> it, yeah, it's kind of scary, but like the the, the fact that, gam- that farming almost was like that, I, I almost I almost felt drew, drew to, and it kind of worried me. And then I, I almost like when I, when I got out of gambling, I had to like I had to minimize that opportunity because my head will just jump to it and I'm like how yeah. can I how can I increase risk because I get such a buzz off of it and my way to deal with that was almost going the opposite and really trying to minimize risk and then I, I actually almost got scared of that side of farming directly I really did struggle with it for a while. Do you never you never want to go back home and do it? I don't know, man. It's it, it do you know it's weird. I absolutely love the career I'm I'm creating at the minute and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, but then sometimes I chuck Heartland on and you watch it with your girlfriend and you're like, oh shit, this is lovely. Like <laughs> I've got that ranch there, man. Like, how nice would that be? You know? Um it's 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 a tricky one, isn't it? Because you you've we're, we're at that age. You, we're, we're slightly different ages, but we're both at that sort of start of our career age, you know. And and like you're like, like you said earlier, you get into this thing and you're like, shit, this is my thing. I'm really enjoying getting my teeth into this, and I want to, I'm finding that thing of I want to change ag education from within. I think it's in an okay, an okay spot, but it has to get better. Um, and I'm, I want to do that. But then I'm like, I haven't had a Sunday off since like May. <laughs> nice yeah. for me to just be like, oh, yeah, like get a horse in the pad at the front. Then, you know, it's, it's you weird. Only, maybe you only need a day off from something you don't enjoy. That, that's the thing. I don't think yeah. you do. And like, I had a day, I had a day off there. Um, I took Yasmin back to see my mum and dad on Aaron and I, I was sick all weekend. Like the first time I turned off and I didn't know what to do. So I was just ill. Um, yeah. There you go. I don't know if, but I don't know if that's, there's two sides to that. Is that, well, maybe I shouldn't do that or is it, maybe I should go a wee bit slower with the rest. I don't know. It's a, yeah, if it becomes unhealthy, you need a break. But other than that, why, why, why stop? Like yeah. why I I stopped doing it. I don't know. Unless unless you're not seeing anyone and not doing anything and living like a hermit, maybe you should have a break then. But <laughs> you are you are seeing people and you are doing stuff. So now nah, just keep keep riding keep riding the waves, I'd say. Riding the waves. Yeah, it's a good yeah. one. Interesting one. Um Dear man, it's always quite interesting to chat to someone that you've known for a while and we, I mean, we're terrible. We spoke with this off camera. We hadn't spoke in ages, and I'm the worst for it. Like, I've, <laughs> my life's on the internet now. Everyone Google my name. There's hundreds of things come up, but like, I just, I'm so bad for keeping in touch. And it's really good to sort of sit down, and have a chat with someone about off camera some of the stuff that we have done, and then on camera some of the stuff that we're doing now. But uh, I am, um, yeah, I appreciate your time. No, no more at all. It's good. It's good to. It's good to be part of it. I guess. And yeah. Keep going. yeah, it's been. It's been good to catch up because you always just like send each other a random text out of nowhere, and I'm like, oh yeah, well, it's that guy. <laughs> and, then, and then you like go on, like go on like a chat about it, and then you when you sent me the podcast, like I just started listening to them, and I was like, it's actually really interesting. Like, I wish I could have listened to it like ten years ago. That's what I wish. Yeah, that, yeah like that. That would have like given me more insight from someone who's not. I'm not from it. I didn't grow up on a farm. I'm not, you know, a part of that at all. So, if you had someone giving you more of an insight then, but then that's probably what you're doing for people. Is, yeah. So it's it's good to have that. But no, it's been good. It's been good to catch up and stuff like that before. Yeah.
Yeah, it's a shame we should have a beer or something while we were doing this. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, here we we've done that in the past. And do you know it's funny? Um there's there's two questions I will ask you before we finish, but there's I filmed, I think it was number 59. Um oh you won't remember because it was she was first year when I was fourth year. Uh a lady called Maria joined. Maria will be, I think Maria and I are similar ages, a wee bit older than me. Um, and she got married and her and her partner started this company called Weebrun Hens. And Weebrun Hens, like, basically it was just selling, like, six eggs a day in lockdown. And then it blew up to, like, however many, you know, like, low thousands of hens, like that, yeah? Mm-hmm. And they started, like, touring, they were uh, delivering all this stuff. They got a real success. And they won the best dressed in the food larder at Highland Show. They had like I don't know if you were there. They saw like a a horse box that had like chutney and stuff in it. I don't. I, I live in that larder at the Highland Show. Um, Shot <laughs> man, I know exactly what comments are coming. <laughs> I didn't see anything. It's exactly your mum sending you that photo of the cow in Thailand. You'll find well. Oh god. Um, but yeah, I had them on, and I was oh, that's going to be class. And basically, they came to Aaron's show, and I was like, do you know what? Like, let's film it in person. So I brought them round to my house. Mum made them dinner and whatever. And um, Aaron Gold is like an Aaron version of Bailey's, and right. like. I would say it's better. It's really good. Of course, <laughs> yeah, I've got to, haven't I? But generally, it's really good. Anyway, we started filming. There was two bottles, and as we went, it just got absolutely shocking. And by the end of it, I was sitting editing it, and I was like, "Trips, we're gonna have to refilm. I cannot release any of this." Like, I slip off the table at one point. <laughs> it's an absolute calamity. Um, I'm like, I've got a job and a brand to try and create here, but. <laughs> So it never, it never got released. So that's I still have it, but I didn't get released. It, it, it's, it's not hiding anywhere. I've just got it on my phone. I don't think anyone's ever going to find that. But uh, yeah, it was good fun. I've, I've always wanted to do, like, just sit. Um, I've got a few different podcast ideas. One of them is sitting halfway up a hill and sort of like a busy, busy hill route and just chat to folk as they go. Um, but one that I think I need to leave my current job to do. Like I just couldn't do it in this job. I wouldn't be able to, um, is just get your mates around a table and hit record. It would be the funniest thing if you're able to all be cancelled. <laughs> it would be brilliant. Yeah, like I'd just shoot some shit. Yeah, yeah man, because they're the funniest times. Like that, I was speaking to, so like Gemma and I, Gemma, Woe, and now Higgins work together. Um, and they, I was like, oh, never guess who I'm filming with tonight. Mentioned you and all that. We're chatting. I was like, do you remember that time? Uh, you, Rudy, and I think William was there. I think Boggle was there. Uh, came round to ours and um, we, we we got drunk. That was fine. But then there was like, there was like Cheetos or, or Wheatos or something like that all over the floor. Yeah. And <laughs> I've got this film. I don't know why it's the funniest thing to me, but I'm filming and you just stand there, put your hand over the can and you're like, stop the videoing. <laughs> <laughs> like the grown up I was, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I know that. That's it. Yeah, very aware of you. Yeah, I, re- I remember that clear as day. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was good. <laughs> Yeah, um, we should have we should have cracked the tin open while we were doing this. Actually, yeah, man, it'd be good, it'd be good. But but then you can't. You're not. You're not drinking. Yeah, I, I could have had a had an iron brew. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's a yeah. No, I'm pretty boring these days. But yeah, no, here it's been really good. But there's two questions. If you have listened to some full podcasts, you'll know them. If you haven't listened to the end, you won't. Uh, that I ask every single person. The first one I absolutely hate because I definitely don't know the answer. If you ask me, 
Um, and the second one's quite a good one, especially coming from, from yourself. So, yeah, first one is where do you see yourself in five years? And the second is if you had any tips or advice for folk coming into farming, what would they be? Um, what would I really see myself in five years? I, um, you ever seen, uh, I'm going to answer this as a different one. You ever seen uh, Matthew McConaughey's speech when he talks about, like, uh, he says, there's something to the gut, there's something to look forward to, and something to chase. I've heard, I've heard that rings a bell, yeah, something, but I don't know what it and, is. And he says, uh, he just says, I'll chase myself in five years' time because I know I'm never going to get there. So he's like, always just try and, it's not, it's not a great answer, but like, always try and be like the better version of yourself. So whether that's whether that's doing what I'm doing now, um, I enjoy it. I don't see no intention of changing what I'm doing now, but whatever I be, whatever I'm doing, I want to be like a better person for it. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and maybe, maybe do what I'm doing, but as long as I'm being better than I am now, it's probably the only answer I have. And well, is there one of you wanting to get someone? Like, yeah, advice for folk coming into farming. The original reason this podcast started was folk were like, how do I get into farming? So I started interviewing 100 folk. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I think it's it's really hard, right? Because it's such a hard industry to get into. Hence the reason I wanted to be work on farms and do farms. And I ended up as an agronomist because I couldn't do it. But just working on farms uh, doesn't stop with driving tractors and, you know, sprayers. There's a lot of things around that. In fact, there's more influential things outside of working on a farm that can have more influence on the farm itself. So I would say... Yeah, that's that's something I probably wish I knew before I started worrying about being on a farm. Was actually if, think about in farming what you would like to do or what you would like to change, and then try and get a route around that. You know, you could say, for example, like a bet or whatever. There's there's different ways to to do that or nutritional or, or you know needs or something like that. So I would say don't just try and be working on a farm because I think it's really hard unless you're from a farm um, and. There's a there is a bit of a ceiling to it if you're if you're a farm worker. I mean, I never want to say there's a ceiling to anything, but if you're a farm worker, the chances are you're never going to own that farm. So maybe look at some different angles that you can you can come at that from, and they can be more successful as successful. So yeah, look at look at the different angles. Don't don't have the what's they have on a horse little blinkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Like take take them off and look at the, look at the bigger picture. But I'm not sure that's good advice or not. But that's 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 all I got. No, it's the 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 five year one's an interesting one because I think two or three times people have flipped it on me and said, "Where do you see yourself in five years?" And I'm sure the odd time I've had some fancy answer, but I don't know where I'll be next week. I don't know where I'll be. Like last week, I ended up doing a talk that I didn't know about the week before. Like just small things. I just like the idea of of in five years' time being a ahead of where I am whatever that means whether that's like you yeah. say a better person or you're just your career's better your personal life's better even though both of them for me currently are really good just in a good spot like I, I think we we try and create objective targets so many times and, and like like Matthew McConaughey says you're never gonna hit that <laughs> yeah then sometimes yeah. that realism is the best thing yeah you don't know you're not gonna get it but yeah it's a, it's a difficult one to answer though that's a horrible one I I put it in and I basically when I when I wrote this when I didn't I didn't write it when I came up with the idea of the podcast I thought right everyone has a thing and I wanted to have a thing and my thing seemed to be my outro questions and they've been there since every since the first one and there's one I revert back to quite often I think you'll quite like this I think 
is either episode 42 or 52, where with Amy Wilkinson on, who you may or may not know, she's a girl with ginger curly hair. Um, she's got a, a got a beef farm in the salt marshes uh, near Liverpool. Sorry, Amy, if it's not exactly Liverpool, but it's near the... Um, <laughs> I offended her, but uh, she was great, man. She came on, great crack, really cool story, just an out-and-out fucking worker is what Amy is. Um, and I asked her that question, she was like, oh, I don't know. And she was like, I was really shy when I was younger, and I think one day I was asked something, do you want to do it? And it was basically, do you want to be on a little advert for the Christmas show about her on a tractor and all this? Like, it wasn't about her, but they just needed a farmer. And she, like... Deep down, she was like, nah, don't do that, too scary. And then she had, in her words, this idea of a 20-second blind confidence. She's like, don't fucking consider anything. Go for it, see what happens. And I was like, I love that. I absolutely love that. Just forget the consequences. Say yes, you're in at the deep end now. You can't get out of it. you got to go for it. And I absolutely loved that. I thought it was brilliant. Like, yeah, I think, yeah, there's something to be said for that. you got to get you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? You always said that nothing's achieved within a comfort zone. Yeah. Like you, you're you're quite a quoty guy. You would always come out with something. You've already come out like four in this episode. Like, yeah, I probably read them all somewhere an hour ago, but <laughs> <laughs> I did. I don't know. I just gotta make them up. But yeah, I think that I think getting out of your comfort zone is is key because uh, it's yeah, that's what I did, and it turned out all right. So I guess it yeah. turned out all right for me. It can turn out all right for everyone. Yeah, definitely, man, definitely. Here, it's been good to chat. We've spoken for well over, well, spoken for the best part of two hours, but we've been recording for well over an hour. Um, <laughs> yeah, you have to edit that. <laughs> absolutely not. I edit none of them. Um, they're all they're all good fun. It's, do you know what? I I, um, I spoke to someone who, who has a podcast, and they said, oh, I edited them all for the first 40. And I was like, why'd you stop? And he was like, um, someone asked me, he was like, what's your favourite episode? And he answered. And he was like, oh, shit, that was a good episode. Then what us podcasters never do is listen to our own episodes. He was like, I'm going to go back and listen to that. Went back and listened to it. And he was like, there was a bit in there that we spoke about that I've edited out. There was a bit in there we spoke about that was really cool. I edit none of it out because it's just like, it's, it's all yeah, important. It's still useful, man. Yeah. It's yeah, like a, yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. You don't, you start adding out. Where do you stop? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you got to let it run. I've now got this log of, you know, the whole idea of it started as, I, I don't know if you've heard of Flavian Obiero. I don't know how much of the whole farming Instagram scene stuff you do. He's called the Kenyan pig farmer. Um, and I basically phoned Flav up and we had a chat for an hour and I wrote a story about it. And I just started as a lecture. I'm like, why am I writing a thousand word essay every week? This is so boring. <laughs> <laughs> let's just phone and speak. Oh, man, I can't, I hate writing. Like, let's speak. I love speaking. And then now I've got this log of 160 conversations you'd have with the chat with a like have a chat in the pub like i love that i love yeah, that yeah like like you say if you go around the table and like just shot some shit with some friends there yeah. that's 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 some good content so yeah you're you're yeah I admire you for not for not editing although some of it you're like oh i really should edit that out, but oh well <laughs> yeah i used to be like now i'm just like nah <laughs> it's going yeah, it it people will easily be offended if they want to be yeah. No, but thank you very much for coming on. Appreciate your time. And uh, for, for those of you listening, that's been episode 160 with a good friend of mine, Mr. Andrew Simpson. It's the last time I'm going to say it. He is Oak. He always will be Oak. Um, the last episode, for those of you interested, obviously when we're here, um, we're on the food and farming side, but I have got the All In series now, which is very much not food and farming. The only rule being actually that they are not in food and farming. Um, so, yeah, Chris Jenks is a really good episode. Um 
really good episode sort of looking at uh, one of those professions that we don't really get access to sort of almost dehumanized sort of actors and whatnot and he's sort of really making his way there now we've also on that side of things got someone um coming up who built a bike out of bamboo and cycled from the top of what i believe the bottom of mexico to the bottom of chile so cycled south america and on the way just stopped off in some community some communities and made friends with different tribes and different cities and whatnot and what a cool story i'm waiting for that i drove to ukraine with her brother so he was an interesting guy and i think in his words and i think it would be fair to understand that it's true she seems like an even more interesting woman so uh, very much looking forward to that for any football fans we've got a european cup stroke champions league winner coming on he won it in the 80s and for football fans that liverpool team arguably the best football team in recorded history um as well as that we have and i'm i'm really excited about this one the, a person who's been to every country twice nine time guinness world book record holder gunner garforce uh yeah he's currently in gabon and um yeah no he's not he just jumped into congo he's having some troubles with visa he's worried he's not getting out and he's like yeah i'll catch you on zoom man it's fine <laughs> he's probably just yeah man he's just bouncing around he's in a great time he's like i don't have any money but i'm a great time so um yeah i totally i i totally i don't want to say it goes far as i envy that life but i totally empathize with why you would want to do it and i'm kind of tempted by that lifestyle i'm not gonna lie but yeah um he's having a great time some yeah absolutely loving life out there in fairness one other person we've got on <clears throat> and uh i'm not gonna say her name because I, I haven't got the pronunciation of her surname correct yet um but she's just became the quickest she's just became the person to do the 14 peaks the quickest now if you don't know what the 14 peaks are the 14 peaks are the 14 points on earth are above 8,000 meters otherwise known as the death zone where basically your oxygen depletes quicker than you can produce um and obviously that includes everest k2 lotzi annapurna all that sort of stuff it took the record from he had a show in netflix nims die who's a a um a sherpa took the record from him and she's like um i think she said she's like oh yeah i'm just doing some kind of tour of everest uh any chance you can get back in touch in december so she's keen to come on so yeah some really cool episodes coming up on that side of things if you're interested and not the food and farming side food and farming wise there's a lot of nuffield ones coming up at the minute and then um some i don't want to say non-nuffield because that just seems like a weird way to explain it but a lot of different food and farming stories coming up too so thank you very much for listening as always and we'll see you for the next episode number 161 with liz haynes see you then I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2 cast as much as I have, and I would just like to quickly thank our primary sponsors of the show today, Howden Rural, the new name for A-Plan Rural. If you follow Howden Rural on social media, you'll see the plethora of work that they do to support this sector, and it's been a pleasure to work alongside them so far, and long may it continue. For more information about them, be sure to check out howdeninsurance.co.uk forward slash rural, and I'll see you for the next episode.